You know, back in the 1980s, many of you weren't born yet, I know, but just imagine we're going to, you know, go back into the past and in the 1980s, uh, 1985 to be exact, I was uh, serving for the first time four churches in rural Georgia. Um, It's called a four-point charge in United Methodism, but I was the pastor of those four churches. And... uh, uh, I would start every Sunday morning with an early morning communion service at 8 o'clock in the morning. Then at 9.30, I went to Vanna United Methodist Church. At 10.30, I went to Bowman United Methodist Church. At 11.30, I went to Stinchcomb United Methodist Church. And at 2.30 in the afternoon, I went to New Harmony United Methodist Church, which was neither new nor harmonious. Um, <laughs> And then I would have an evening service at 6 o'clock, which had to be different from the first five services of the day. And so that was a a tough time of figuring out what leadership was supposed to look like. And one Sunday afternoon, because Stinchcomb United Methodist Church, historic, they had Revolutionary War soldiers buried in their uh, cemetery, very historic. Um, One Sunday... Uh, Miss Sue came up to me after church. You know, I had been preaching. You have to understand, in 1985, I was in my 20s. So let's just say I was sure I knew everything, and I didn't. Uh, But, you know, enough said about that. So I, uh, I had preached a sermon, and I was really uncertain about the whole thing. And at the end of the service, Miss Sue, who was probably... Uh, it was, it's against all of my gentility to guess, but she was probably 90. Uh, came up to me after service. She was carrying her Bible, well-worn. It was clear that she had used it a lot, spent a lot of time in prayer. And she said, Brother Jim, that's what they called me. That's what she called me. Everybody else called me James. Well, no, everybody else called me Jim. Or some of them called, some of them called, called me Preach because... Uh, because I did that, I guess, and because they weren't old enough to call me James. So their parents said, all right, you can call him Preach, but we're not letting you call him, you know, by his name. So I was Preach. I still am Preach if I ever see Todd, but uh, who is now 38 or, you know, 40, I don't know. So get back to the story, James. Stay on track. Miss Sue said, you know, Brother James, you're young, and I'm old. That's what she said to me. You're young and I'm old. And neither one of us knows everything about God. And neither one of us will ever know in this life all there is to know. So it's okay. It's okay if you have to refer to somebody else or learn from somebody else. And if I can ever help you, just let me know. That's what Masu told me. And so... I went right back to knowing everything and doing everything my way because that's, that's me. Uh, as we begin this week a series on leadership, I am relying heavily on the wisdom, insight, research, and uh, um, writing of uh, Brene Brown. I don't know if any of you have read Brene Brown, but her most recent book I happen to have on my person here is a book called Dare to Lead. It brings together, it came out on the 8th of October. I encourage you, if you are in any kind of leadership position or 
ever think about being in a leadership position that you pick up a copy of this book. It has a lot of really smart things to say about leadership. Now, up until yesterday, I was in a semi-panic you know, panic state. Linda would tell you this is absolutely true because I said to Linda, sitting in the chair next to me last night, she said, I said, oh yeah, I'm reading this book. I clearly have absolutely no idea what leadership is, and I'm starting tomorrow. <laughs> and she said, just hang in there. God will do something with you. I don't know what something was, but I, I got up this morning and I had this sense of peace because I can't tell you, I, I, you, you didn't come, I can't just plagiarize what Brene Brown says. You can read her for yourself. What I hope to do over the next four weeks of our working through this material together is that I'll bring a biblical story. I'll bring my understanding of the biblical story and some of the things I'm learning from this book. And by the way, there's no way this could even be covered in four weeks of uh, short sermons. Um, but... Um, or my normal long sermons. Go ahead, you can say it, I heard you. I heard it, running through your brain. Boy, he doesn't know how to talk less than 30 minutes. I don't even know, he can't even got through the, it's gonna get through the introduction and at least talk to us? Yes, I am. Stop asking questions. So I encourage you, pick up a copy of the book, and actually there's an online leadership guide that you can pick up as well, that you can work through on your own. And uh, there's a lot of online materials if you want to really look at your own leadership skills. So she begins uh, by talking to us about how the, most, uh, the first and core tool to being a good leader is your ability to rumble with vulnerability. Uh, rumble with vulnerability. And uh, she tells us that vulnerability is risk, uncertainty, and emotional exposure. And if you're ever a leader, those are things that uh, you have. There is no place you can go, there is no job you can have in the world where you are not uncertain at times, there is risk involved, and where you are emotionally out there sometimes. People can see it in your face. If you think that nobody knows what you're thinking or what you're feeling, then you have not seen yourself in a mirror, and you need to work on your self-awareness. Uh, the bottom line is, for most of us, we don't have a poker face. There is always a tell, that twitch, that, uh, that look, that tightening of the jaw, the creasing of the forehead, something that tells people that you are emotional at this moment, that they have indeed poked, the, you, know, poked you exactly where you needed or didn't need to be poked. So leadership puts you in a vulnerable position, and you need to be able to deal with that what she talks about. So I thought to myself, what great leader do I know biblically that had anything, you know, out there? And I thought, that Jesus dude. You know, what can I say? You know, he is the guy we follow. And so I, uh, I pulled out a story, just a simple story from the Gospel of Mark. And we're, I'm in chapter 8. I gave you a version of it that is not the version I'm going to read from. You know, I keep doing that to you. But this week I gave you a version from The Voice. It's a, it's a version that you don't often see. And sometimes what I like to do is read a different version, uh, see a different version, because sometimes it pushes different buttons for me. If you're anything like me, and even if you're not, I have spent a lifetime reading this book. And if you read it enough times, sometimes you read right over the words and you don't even see what they say. Because you've read it so many times, what does it mean? So I put it out there a little differently. So we're looking at Mark. Chapter 8, and I'm beginning with verse 27. 
Jesus and his disciples went into the village, uh, the villages near Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They told him, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, and what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus began to teach his disciples, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and legal experts and be killed, and then, after three days, rise from the dead. He said this plainly. But Peter took hold of Jesus. I can only imagine this picture because Peter is such a edgy kind of guy, does whatever comes to his mind. Peter took hold of Jesus and scolded him. I, that's just not a good plan. Um, okay, sorry. Uh, began, began to correct him. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, then sternly corrected Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking of God. You aren't thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. After calling the crowd together with his disciples, Jesus said to them, All who want to come after me must uh, say no to themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me and because of the good news will save them. Uh, and it goes on from there, but these are the important points. These, uh, this is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So I looked at this story and I looked for pieces of what I think are most important about leadership and what I've gleaned so far from reading uh, Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead. And if we're talking about vulnerability, if you're going to be vulnerable, if you're going to be out there, you have to trust some voices, but you can't trust all voices. Let me just give you a heads up that I have learned long and hard after serving St. James United Methodist Church for almost 27 years now. And that is, you will never, ever, ever please everybody. And if you try to, first of all, you'll be deeply unhappy, and you will still never please everybody. Because as soon as you please one, somebody else is ticked off. You know, uh, I, I wanted your sermons to be longer, James, but 25 minutes is too long. You know, uh, uh, you know, I wanted your sermons to be shorter, James, but now you didn't even cover your points. And you're already all over the place. Or you're not over all over the place enough. Or, by the way, I don't like that you wear black jeans. I'd like you to wear something else. Well, good for you. <laughs> if you want to preach and you want to wear something different than this, you get on up there. But otherwise, just sit in your seat. You know, because uh, I'm going to do what I'm going to do and you're going to do what you're going to do and we're going to be who we are. But you need to have, you can't so armor yourself and lose vulnerability by not listening to anybody. Because if you don't hear anybody, even the people you really trust who call you out, then you will never learn from the mistakes that you make. I've told you all this before, but it's the absolute truth. There is one person in my life, one person I know that if I ask her how my sermon went on Sunday morning, I better be prepared. Because I'm not getting some, oh, that was great, Pastor. Oh, that was good. Oh, I really love that one point that you had somewhere in the middle that I've forgotten now. You know, uh, I really love that image you told at the beginning, that story. Whatever that story, remember that story you told? I don't anymore, but I'm sure you do. 
You know, I really love that. If I ask Linda, my wife, how was the sermon this morning? Girl will tell me. <laughs> Ooh, boy, have I asked some Sundays that I shouldn't have asked that question. Uh, James, next week, I encourage you to do this. First, start preparing before the second song on Sunday morning. Second, please read the Bible text. Please actually know that the Bible, what it says. Have you ever read that book? You know, it starts with Genesis 1-1 in the beginning. Have you ever said, uh, read that book? Because it could be really helpful in your whole sermon thing, you know? And third, don't ever refer to me in a sermon again. Can you imagine what today's uh, responses are going to involve? So, honey, how was that sermon today? The truth is, I absolutely trust her to tell me the truth. I, I kid with you all sometimes, and I kid with her. But if I need to know something, I know she will tell me. And if she knows I need to know it, even without asking, she'll tell me. She'll put me back in my place. Now, we all need people like that in our... I know all of you would love to put me in my place, and some of you try. And most of you are not big enough to do that. So, uh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm interested in what you have to say, but I can't possibly fit into everybody's image of what, what do you really need from me? You know, who can I be for you? I have to be who God made me to be. But you do need some people, some core people. In fact... Brene Brown, in an earlier book, suggested that you pull out a small, square, one-inch sheet of paper, which I did not provide for you, because I wasn't planning on talking about this, and that that's a very small piece of paper, and on all four sides of that one-inch piece of paper, and the reason why it's one-inch square is because it's small, won't hold a lot, but the other thing is it fits into your wallet or purse, and you carry it with you, and these are the four people that you're going to trust, one on each side. The four people that when they tell you something, you're going to listen. And anybody else, you will listen to them, but you're not going to take it to heart. When somebody says to you, James, you preach too long, and when six of you say it, even if you're not on my piece of paper, I'm going to think, well, probably, probably it's true. You know, if four, six people, little did I know that the Redskins game was going to begin earlier and you had to be home to watch it. You didn't give me that heads up in advance. You know, give me a heads up next time. I'll know. And I'll probably still preach long, but that's neither here nor there. You know, if I listen to, you know, I can't, we have to, each one of us, in our role as leaders in whatever positions we're in, whether we lead our own lives or whether we're connected with other people, is we have to be prepared to receive other people's responses, but also be the person that we are at the same time. Now, Jesus asked his disciples, so, who does everybody say I am? And he listened to them. This is, this is what everybody says. They said, you're Elijah, John the baptizer, come back. You're this other guy, you know, one of the prophets. But who do you say I am? And that's when Jesus' ears perked up. Have you really been listening to everything that I've said? Have you really come to know what I'm about? And Peter the same guy who drops the ball regularly in that moment says what comes to his mind, and he was right on. You are the Christ, 
You are the, you know, essentially the glue that holds the whole universe together. That's what we understand the Christ to be. You are the love that out of which God created everything and made it all and holds it all together even now. You are all of that rolled up into one human being. That's what you are. Jesus said, "Mm, he's been listening. This is good. This is good. I can trust him. He's part of that core group that Jesus listens to. Now, however, then Jesus goes on to be honest. I need you to understand what my job is. I got to be willing to give my life away. And the bad news is not everybody wants to hear the message of love. Can Can I just give you a heads up? No matter how loving you are, not everybody wants to hear about love. Try telling love to somebody who is spewing hate who is, for instance, marching uh, at, a, uh, at a funeral for one of our service folks from that wonderful church in the Midwest because, and shouting horrible things while a military family buries their son or daughter. Try to tell them about love. Try to tell the family about love while they're having to listen to that stuff. You know... And the bottom line is, it's really hard to hear love. Not everybody wants to hear love. In fact, hate is so much easier, isn't it? If I tell you who to hate, if you come to church on Sunday morning, I can just give you a list of who to hate. You don't even have to think for yourself. Just go out and hate those people. But if I tell you you've got to love some people, yeah, you're going to take me out in the front yard after a while and nail me up on that tree. Thank goodness part of it fell down, so there's not a whole lot left to nail me to because I'm kind of a big guy, so uh, it's good. But the truth is, Jesus says, I've got to give my life away. People are not ready for this message of hope and love. They're just not ready for it. But I'm going to keep preaching it because it needs to be heard. God already loves you. You know it. You need to know it. God already loves you. You don't believe me, do you? You do not believe me. Some of you don't believe me. God already loves you. God already loves you. God would so love you to love God back, but God's going to love you anyway. God's going to love you already. Yeah, anyway, that's the way that it is. And I'm going to have to die. You know, I'm going to give my life to this, and it's going to kill me. You're going to kill me. Hate's going to kill me, Jesus tells them. Peter is not ready to hear that. He's not ready for the truth. You can't handle the truth. You know, uh, Sorry. Obscure references to movies. Um, you can't handle the truth. So Peter pulls him aside. He says, dude, stop this stuff. Stop this stuff, Jesus, it's wrong. <laughs> can you imagine shaking Jesus? I, I can't. <laughs> you can imagine a lot of things. Shaking Jesus, not one of them. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Tempter. Tempter. That's really what the word boils down to. Get away from me, temptation. I don't need to be tempted to do something else. You think I want to give my life away to love? Well, I sort of do. But it's scary, too. I'm afraid. There is fear. He was vulnerable with his disciples, and then he told them, listen, this is what's going to happen to all of you. Leadership requires that we be exposed. Not so exposed that I'm not talking about going into your next staff meeting 
and dumping your guts about how sad you are about the state of the world and how ugly it is and how you've lost all hope and the world's coming unglued and there's no hope and it's never going to work out and I don't understand why we do the things we do. And, you know, because, by the way, you won't have a job after that. You will not be the leader of the group anymore after that. I'm not talking about over-disclosure. But if you're honest, if you're vulnerable as a leader, you tell people the costs that are involved. Look, I don't know how we're going to get to be the church God wants us to be here. I'm not always, you know, it's going to require risk. And there's a lot of uncertainty. And, you know, I, I told my district superintendent when I was meeting with him earlier this week, you know, 20 years ago I knew how to be a leader in the church. I knew how to grow a church. You just had to throw in a contemporary service. Next thing you know, you got 150 people popping up. Well, not anymore. People are concerned. What is the church about? They talk about love and then they hate. They talk about not judgment, that God already loves you, and then they tell everybody to judge everybody else, and they seem to hate some people, and, they, and then they do terrible things, and they keep perpetuating those things, and, you know, where is the love? And that's a perfectly legitimate question. But we got to still keep preaching love. I still got to keep preaching love. So it's going to take uncertainty and risk to be the church. And Jesus wants to know if we're all going to be all in. Jesus wants us all in. Because if we're on this team together, and I happen to be one of the leaders, but if we're in this together, we need to be all in. All into the story of love. That means... Love doesn't end when you walk out the door on Sunday morning. It doesn't end when we sing about love up here. It doesn't end when we baptize and welcome Gianna into our family, to God's family. We say, you're a part of the kingdom. It doesn't end there. It starts there. And then the hard work comes. You go to work tomorrow. The hard work comes. You go to a football game this afternoon where another team person is sitting next to you and saying the ugliest possible things. What you going to do? Well, I'm so sorry you fell over the balcony. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> I really... By the way, that's not the loving response, sisters and brothers. Hopefully no one will have any accidents at any football games you're going to. Well, my pastor said, push him over the... You did not hear me say that. You've got to be loving wherever you are all the time. You've got to carry that message. That's how you lead the gospel proclamation. That's how you lead at work. You let love shine through with you, even if not everybody's going to hear it or accept it. Keep loving in the face of adversity. Jesus did all the way to the end. Hanging on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Not, how about a couple of lightning bolts, Dad? Sap! <laughs> that is not what I heard. Father, forgive them. He loved us to the end. I think that's pretty cool. Loves us from the beginning to the end. He was vulnerable from the beginning to the end. If you want to talk about vulnerable leadership, God of eternity became one of us. There you go. So, practice. This week, practice. If you don't do anything else, find yourself a one-by-one -one piece of paper. And to guard your heart in the Lord, find four people that you trust enough, or you may not have four, 
a couple of people you trust enough that when they call you out, you're going to listen. And everybody else, unless they come to you en masse <laughs> and say, okay, point two was enough, James. Get over it. You know, I'm going to listen to these four. And the other people I'll listen to, but I'll take, you know, carefully and sift what they say. I might even test it with the four. So put into practice being vulnerable, not spilling your guts with everybody, but neither hiding the risks and realities. Be truthful. Be trustworthy. The first of the scouting laws.